Thanks for joining us for another amazing message from C3 Church Calgary. Our hope is that our podcast will equip and connect you to Jesus. Now prepare your hearts to receiving something new from God today. Okay, well let's take your Bibles and I probably should just preach a few things that are on my heart. I want to begin to... Um, yeah, I want to begin a, a new series on the blessing of belonging. And, I want, and, and so this, this uh, oh, look at, look at that, how nice is that? Um, I, I, sometimes, you know, the, the word, uh, how, how I uh, try to uh, figure out what to preach on Sunday, um, I often ask, like, what is, a question like this, what does the church need to hear? Because sometimes that's just like, you know, um, wake up, shape up. Um, it may be like, Lord, what are you saying? And it may be, what, Lord, what are you saying to me? Because sometimes when the Lord speaks to me, it's not for me, it's for somebody else, someone in proximity to me or within my sphere of influence. And when those three converge, we, we get the word of the Lord for, for in, in, in due season, a specific word. So I just trust that this is gonna be a blessing for you. The next three weeks, I'll be preaching on belonging. And um, t- today I wanna talk about the blessing of belonging. Next week, the longing for belonging. But uh, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to uh, Acts chapter two. And I've been enjoying the Passion Translation, and it, it's a translation. Um, and I'm gonna read from chapter two, or, and verse 42, where it says, every, every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another. What a beautiful phrase. Sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. You kind of wonder if that's because of the unity uh, or in spite of. All the believers were in fellowship into or as one body and they shared with each other whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need, uh, in need among them. And daily they met together in the temple courts and one another's houses, uh, sorry, homes, to celebrate communion. They shared meals together and with joyful hearts and tender humility they were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. Uh, it, it, says, it says in Isaiah chapter nine that of the increase, uh, of the increase, <laughs> I got stuck on this the other day, chapter, Isaiah chapter nine, now the government will be upon his shoulders, and how that he will be, that, that part of what the Lord, would do, would be, his influence would be ever increasing. And that's what we are actually part of. As the body of Christ, the government rests on the shoulders. What on the shoulders of what? On the body of Christ. So the church is not just this hodgepodge gathering of, of, of people. It's the governing force on earth. And when God wants to do something on earth, he needs an authorized vessel and place to come through. And so what we do is we, as, as we gather, we're more than just gathering to do uh, casual things. We're gathering to do kingdom things. And that's why we gather. And there's a personal anointing and there's a corporate anointings that when we come together and we add, each one brings their part, that there's this whole nother thing that takes place. And every part is so important. And, and in the scriptures, many times we see how it, where, where the body of Christ is actually representative of a physical body. And most of you know that a liver by itself or a spleen by itself or a kidney by itself is kind of useless. But when it's plugged in and connected to and is working well, it becomes this highly functioning, miraculous and wonderfully made body. 
And so that's a great picture, I think, of the body of Christ. Um, further on in Acts, uh, in chapter four, it says, all the believers were of one heart, verse 32, and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, and they shared together everything they had, and the apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of Christ, and great favor was upon, upon them, and there was no poverty among them, because people who owned land and houses sold them and brought the money to the apostles to give to those in need. It's just an, a, a phenomenal thing. Did you know that Christianity is the only world religion that's ever focused on the elimination of systemic poverty. There's no other religion has done that. Why, because the heart of Jesus was always for the brokenhearted. He always, he was always, and, and when we get, when his spirit comes into us, we begin to carry now the passions and the desires and the hope of Christ. So Christ in us becomes this hope for the world. And so it's, a, it's an amazing thing, and there was no poverty among them. What, what, what would it be like if we could be part of that? So one day the Lord asked me, what, 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 uh, I was asking the Lord what he would want for his body, and he said, what would you want? And I, I answered like this, which surprised me, my answer. I said, well, I'd, I'd honestly just simply like to be part of a winning team. Who doesn't want to be part of a winning team? We want to be part of a winning team. And, um, and so this is, for Kelly and me, our, local, our passion is for the local church, and we're protective of the local church. Our, our leaders, <clears throat> our teams, this has become our passion. Yesterday, while we were out on the Harley, riding and, um, and Chad's uh, fell apart, um, we stopped on the side of the road and we heard this rumble, honestly, just like thunder. And I looked and there was the, there, here come the Hell's Angels and a few that were here this morning in church. Were you, is anybody riding yesterday with that, the Hell's Angels? Okay. Oh, yeah, you were, yeah, we were there. You were with us, I know. So <laughs> anyway, they, and they came by and I thought, how cool to be part of like a winning team. Now, let's not do what they do. But just riding together and all that rumble as rolling by and to be part of something. We're so much better together than we are alone. And that's the purpose, I think. And, that, and maybe that's what, you know, um, uh, when, when Ty used to say, move that bus. Well, what could happen when a whole bunch of people get together, roll up their sleeves? What can happen? Amazing thing can happen. So the power of the universe is literally unity. And one of the words, what diffuses our power is disunity. When, 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 when there's disunity, the Bible says, it talks about when, when I, in, in a home, when a house is divided, it'll actually fall. Because, because disunity is a destructive force. What happened in, in the book of Acts there is they all together, they all in unity, and what, what happened? They, were, they learned, they understood the power of being in unity. So what happens, here's what happens in church. There becomes an assignment to keep you from being connected to the body of Christ. And I wanna remind us how important every, there's no vestigial organs in the body of Christ. They're all important and they're all critical. Even if you're, you know that wee little, uh, you know, little toe or, I don't even know how big a spleen is, but you're, say you're the pineal gland, like a little thing. Gosh, it's important. Anybody missing a thyroid? Those things, they, they, help, they help. You need that stuff. Like every part is important. Am I, are you getting what I'm saying? Every part's important. And here's what happens. I, I just want you to know that there's a specific assignment to keep you disconnected from the body of Christ so that you will become isolated and that you will become separated and the body will then be weakened and no longer be able to fulfill its purpose. There is an assignment against every assembly when the body assembles together every Sunday morning and your proof today that you have overcome the evil one by just showing up. 
There's a, this is what happens. Anybody who's had kids, that's empirical evidence that there's a real de- devil. Just, you know, just, that, just, just, just we're going to church. <clears throat> so I'm just trying to talk about how important it is to be together. And how that everyone, we belong together and we need to be together. Did you know that the studies, um, the, the studies, I, I read a portion of a 2003 study that those who are part of a community of faith live longer and I think it's somewhere in the area of like six to eight years longer. Uh, by the way, I've also learned this, that, that uh, women who carry extra, about 10 extra pounds on their hips live approximately nine years longer than men who comment on them. I just loosen it up. I love the second service. We're just about done. So, yeah, so what I'm trying to say is how important it is to be together, and I just want to invite you to belong. But what happens when you connect? It's like, it's like when porcupines make love. You end up, uh, you find that you, it, it's awkward and prickly, and, and so we end up, it's not a good metaphor. Sorry about that. But when you come together, you find out like the people you're sitting beside may not be your first choice of people you want to be with. Well, that's your growth opportunity. That's a green light to grow. Because we're supposed, we're, we learn to get along together. And what I found consistently to be true is when you see somebody who has a fault, that fault is consistently in you. It's called a speck in a log. What's in their, in their life in a speck is full grown in your eye, in your body, in your life. I've, you, honestly, I gave you so many illustrations about this. You spot it, you got it. That's how it works. So they're smelling bad. Here's, what, here's my suggestion. Just take a sniff of yourself. Now, being together. So here's what's important. I think it's really, really important is that the, the other thing is that uh, Kelly and I were reading a book together uh, about younger next year. As I approach my 60th decade, it's important to learn how to become ne- younger next year. Um, and, uh, and they said that, that whatever you do as you get older, make sure that you, ha- that you stay married because people who are married live longer. Isn't that interesting? That, that we are meant to be together, alone and isolating and separating yourself from a body or from people because we were designed to be together. When you separate yourself and you remove yourself, you lose some of the desire for, for, for life. I've met many couples who've been, they were married for 60 years. Their partner goes and they go a few years later. They just say, I don't know, I can't live without, I can't live, living is without you. I'm just so happy I, I can sing again. I've had a tough time and Kelly's very happy that I can sing again. Equ- equally happy. But, I, but during going through this health thing for me, I was learning about how, uh, what, what percentage does diet and exercise play in your physical health? You should, you should ask yourself this question because we are three parts and you're only at most 33% physical. So what happens in your life may have to do with your soul or your spirit. The Bible talks many times about, about uh, us about uh, being whole spiritually results in our body becoming whole. Uh, I don't know if anybody read the book by uh, Gladwell. I think it was Blink. And right at the beginning, he did, they did a, they found uh, a group of people. The oldest people lived to be the oldest in the world. And they found when they did their uh, interview about what how they lived, they found that these people, uh, everybody smoked, everybody drank way too much wine, and they all ate heavily fatted, really fat food. And they said, well, how does this work? Because isn't diet and exercise, isn't that the thing that helps you to live long? No, what happened is that they lived in a community where everybody accepted one another and they were socially 
whole, that all the kids never felt lonely, they never felt disconnected. How, what part, so when, when Christ, one of the things, so removing systemic poverty would be one thing materially, but what about relationally? What about those who are alone? When the Bible talks about love and how, learn, you know, how love never fails, love needs an object. So when you find the people, when they get, so you wonder, where does depression come from? I mean, can I just say, I don't know, but may, it may be, it may be that there may be something to do with them isolating and disconnecting and feeling shameful and guilty or something, but if they could come and feel accepted and loved, and may I make this statement, that everybody that walks on this property is accepted and loved. And there should be no judgment on anyone. Jesus is, that phrase, I love that phrase about Jesus, he was a friend of sinners. Yeah, could we be friends of sinners? Because if you're not, you're not gonna be friends with anybody. There's only one group of people in the world. All right, so that's second service. Come on, get, get, get a sense of humor. <laughs> so there's different reasons why people join communities of faith, I know, and churches like ours, but um, I, I often think that um, for many times, many times it can just be an emotional Decision. So I need, you know, I think I need to connect with a body, and I need to be part of something. And you know, uh, th- we we want to be, we want to be, say to you, we want to extend this that you belong, and you're welcome, and you're loved, and we need you, and you're valuable. I'd like that to be our message, and continue over and over. A primary purpose of life in John chapter 15, because I think this is the heart in the heart of every individual. I think that they in, in their the heart of everyone is to leave a lasting impact and or a legacy and or fulfill their destinies. I think in the heart of everyone, we want, to, we, we want to make a difference in the world. Well, John chapter 15 reminds us, if we would remain in him, the result would be what we would bear fruit. That your life would be fruitful. It's one of the primary reasons for you being, drawing breath. Not that you would just, not that you, and, and that the fruit would remain. It would live on beyond you, that you would have a legacy that would be transferred and passed along to future and upcoming generations. That's one of our purposes. But here's what happens, is that he said, throughout the, the rest of that, he said, if you remain in me or if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll be able, it'll actually transform the way you speak. You'll be able to ask what you want and it'll be done for you. He said, you'll be able to do the impossible if you will protect the connection between the branch and the, and the vine. The church becomes, can I say, like a vineyard. And in order for you to bear fruit, you need to be connected. And you need to, you need to give yourself to something. This is, this is amazing for me, that people don't fight for their connections. That relationships, are, they, they become more and more disposable. And honestly, as I, later in life, I, I, I honestly find how valuable and how critical and how incredibly important relationships are. Usually when you ask someone how they're doing, they'll answer in regard to the relationships. This is amazing to me. And so, so how important that we stay connected and then we fight for our connections. And once we find the place, when somebody says, I think I need to go, you know, the Lord's called us to another church. I said, okay, if he's really called you there, well, you better go. But if he's called you here, you actually need to be released from here. Because if this is your vineyard, you need to not just, st- someone, what's the thing, st- blo- st- plant, blossom where you're planted. That's not good enough. You need to bear fruit where you're planted. You need to stay in one place. Blessed are those who are planted by the rivers of water. Like planted, that's when you bear fruit. Well, here's what'll happen. You're gonna have a reason to disconnect. You're, there's gonna be lots of reasons. I, I could have given you some already this morning. You could, there'll be reasons that'll come up. Here's what'll happen, you will be offended. Just, just, but here's what's gonna happen in life. You're gonna be offended in life. My question is, where are you gonna learn to get over those and grow up? 
So we need to honestly, as if we're going to mature, we have to pull our thumbs out of our mouth and put on our big boy pants and deal with our offenses, not make excuses. This is really important. Somebody said amen when I said that. Who was that? There was... Thank you in the back. I see that hand. All right, so bearing fruit is a critical thing. Belonging, you, you and I, and Brene Brown said this way better than me in her TED Talk, one of the most watched on the power of vulnerability. She said that we're neuro- neurobiologically wired for connection. It's one of the reasons, so she goes on to say this, she took six years to study, let's just learn from another person here, six years to find out what is the greatest need of the human heart. And here's the greatest need of the human heart, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of race, I guess that is race, socioeconomic, regardless of anything, everybody in the world has the same need, is the desire to feel connected and loved and known. It's a frightening thing, but that's why we had people share stories this summer. And here's what, here's what happens, here's what shame will do. Shame, she says, is, the, is, the, the, um, uh, is really the shame by definition is the, um, uh, the fear of disconnection. I'm afraid that you won't like me, that there's something unlovable about, about me. That, that's what shame is, and if, as parents, we need to say shame off you, not shame on you. Shame, guilt says you've done something wrong. Shame says that you are something wrong. That's deadly. But where do we get healed? Here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna get hurt in community. You're gonna get hurt in the world. Welcome to the world. But in community and relationship, that's also where we get healed. Because we find healing together. And we don't blame the person that did the whatever to us. We grow up and we find healing. We have, within our inheritance, within our reach, the ability to be healed. That's wonderful. So that's, and, and it's our birthright. And so she said, goes on to say, how about this greatest need is to feel connected and how that, and how that shame destroys uh, that connection. And so here's, here's what happens when we, learn, we, when we get into community. We have the opportunity then to begin to share our stories. And, and we wonder, why don't I feel close to anybody? Well, you're not sharing anything about you. You're using all your fig leaves you can. Right, we hide. It's classic. Sin will cause you to hide. But when the Holy Spirit gets in your life, he says, listen, you're so well-loved and you're well, so well-accepted, you can actually share who you really are. We want to, so if, you, if you're not sure if you're really known, well, how vulnerable are you with other people? Does somebody really, truly know you? If not, you're just putting, you, we put on facades because it's our way of self-protection. Here's what I'll do, I'll dress like this, act like this, speak like this, smell like this, talk like this, so I will be loved and accepted. Well, here's a newsflash, you're already loved and accepted just the way you are. And here's, here's, here's how different, frankly, how are you different than anybody else? Well, thank, frankly, in every way. There's no one else like you on the earth. You need to be known. We, we need you to be known. And the things that are going on in your heart, there's nothing new, there's nothing surprising, and there's nothing too dangerous, dark, or dastardly that can separate you from the love of Christ. It was while we were still sinners, Christ had died for us, while you were at your worst. Nobody comes to Christ because they love him. Did you know that? We love him because he first loved us. And once we understand this unconditional, radical love of the Father that continues to pursue us, we all of a sudden say, okay, I think I'm okay then before the Father. I think I can disclose to him. That's the only, the only way it works. It's the goodness of God that causes us to change the way that we're thinking, change the way that we're feeling, and finally feel that it's okay to be ourselves and who we're being created to be. That's the good news. I feel like, honestly, that I'm just starting to figure out the gospel. 
just starting to figure it out. But you can be, I hope that this would be a place. Here's what'll happen, if you attend on Sundays, it's not likely that just, just Sundays, it's likely you're not gonna grow. You'll come and you'll get, you know, you'll go, oh, grandma, but you won't be able to actually until you get into a life-on-life relationship with a few people, whether that's small group, wherever that is. But get into a smaller, because this, you notice this is all one-way communication? You, you, I hope I create more questions. Well, where do you take your questions? You need people to work that up. Small groups, you need to be part of a group of some kind where you can, and, and can I just suggest that that may not be your spouse. I miss the suggestion. That may not be. Do I need the church to get to heaven? No, but you needed the church to make it on the earth. That's what we need. That's why we need, the, that's why we need church. Um, belonging, it's really interesting. The ministry of reconciliation, Isaiah, or Second Corinthians chapter five, I've just fell in love with this whole chapter. And, and this, you know, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature, I just love that old things have passed away, all things have become new, that's so exciting. I, um, I'm not gonna comment on that, I'm just gonna say that's awesome. They're not the same, the old is gone, new life has come, but verse 18 says, and all this newness of life is from God who brought us back to himself. Who brought us back? He brought us back. Did you choose him or he choose you? Yes. All this newness of life is from God who brought us back to himself through what Christ did. And now God has given us the task or the ministry of reconciling people to him. When the angels sang peace on earth, goodwill towards all men, has anybody looked around? Because Jesus also said there's gonna be wars and rumors of war. So he didn't come to bring peace on the earth. He brought peace between God and man. That's what Christ did. So now the way, it's all been made clear. That's the good news. You don't have to change a blessed thing. Now here, he loves you too much to leave you that way, but you don't have to change anything. Well, what, don't I, do I have to do this and talk like this and act like this and quit smoking this? And No, not, not, not to come to Christ, not at all. He expects you to be you know, like that. That's all good. So now what's the issue is no longer is God reconciled to man, the issue is man reconciled to God. That's our part. And now our, our ministry becomes, are we sharing that good news that it's okay to come home and that no sin can ever separate you now from his love or his life or his light. There's no sin that can separate you. Sin is no longer the issue. Sin was dealt with in the body of Christ. He became poor that we might become rich, socially, spiritually, on every level. So sin's no longer the issue. Well, pastor, can I live just the way I want? No, if you think that, then you need to get saved because sin is dangerous and destructive and deadly. But my Bible says in 1 John chapter three and verse three, it says if anybody has this hope in him, he purifies himself. The path of the righteous gets brighter and brighter because we allow the Holy Spirit to bring about the calibration that's required. Us before God, us when we submit ourselves to the Lord, that's how it works. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But you ask yourself, why would it be that Jesus would have to conclude his, his, many of his sermons by saying, he who hath an ear, let him hear, what the Spirit is saying. Because the Spirit communicates spirit to spirit. He who has an ear, here's, what's gonna, here's what can happen, is it's not that you have physical ears, but how about your spiritual ears? And he said the same thing later in, 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 um, in the book of Corinthians where it says that there's a veil that is still over the hearts of men and women, there's still a veil. What's a veil do? Does a veil hide the truth? No, it distorts it. So you can see through a little bit. But when we come to Christ, that gets removed. 
So now what happens is no longer, we don't, this is the path of, this is how it gets better and better for us. You need to know him not just as savior, you need to know him as all these other dimensions that he is. If you only know him as savior, your relationship with him will become very dysfunctional and you'll only know him as the one who gets you out of trouble, as savior, to save you. But there's a whole other, all these other dimensions of knowing God and knowing who Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And that's the wonderful thing about following Jesus, is that he begins to show you all these new facets of what he's like. And it's one of the reasons, I think, that the angels circle around the throne and say, holy, 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 because they're seeing a brand new dimension of what he's really like. It's unexhaustible. I'm glad you know him as savior. Now you can be reconciled to Christ. But do you know him as provider? Maybe you need him to know as that. Maybe you need to know him as, as your deliverer. Maybe you need to know him as your shelter. There's all these other dimensions of Christ. So that, gets, that veil gets removed when we come to Christ. In Christ, that veil gets removed. To be reconciled to God. This is, a, this is interesting to me because he's given us the ministry of reconciliation, not just me. Us, we're a team. Us. It's like where, where he says that we have the mind of Christ. Not I, but we have the mind of Christ. Together, we have the mind of Christ. So when we're about to make a major decision, I'd like to know who do you talk to about those decisions? Because if we're not careful, we can make the Bible say whatever our distorted per- per- perception is of that. So, so who do you talk to when you're making a major decision? If I meet someone and they say, you know, I think, the Lord, I think I've fallen out of love. I think, I, I, think, I think I'm being led to divorce. I say, oh, who are you talking to about that? Well, nobody. That's just the decision I made. Well, really? Well, one, one, one's too lonely a number. You need to talk to some people. He's placed people around us to talk to. So, so to be reconciled, us, the, 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 he taught us to pray like this too. Not my father who art in heaven. Our. We're, men, we're, we're, we're designed to belong and to be part. Um, I love this at the, where it goes on to say in 2 Corinthians, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. The world reconciled means made friendly. Did you know that, that now Christ is friendly with you? That he's not, he's not, he's not even in a bad mood. Did you, did you know that? He's not upset, he's not mad, he's not judging you. That he's now friendly towards you. Do you see Jesus as friendly? Because he's friendly towards you. I know the world tries to tell you that he's mean and mad and, 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 uh, and ornery. I know that's what the world tries to, if you're thinking that, you're not thinking biblically about who Christ is. He's friendly. Do you see him as a friend? Because you've now been made friendly. He's not in a bad mood. Can I just say this? He's not in a bad mood towards believers and he's not in a bad mood towards unbelievers. Not, I'm down here. <laughs> Coming for you. But God's not in a bad mood about unbelievers. He's paid an incredible price so that they could come to know him in Christ. So that's beautiful. It means, it means to be made friendly, to be brought into harmony. Uh, another, another term is to exchange coins of equal value. Let me, let me break that down for you. Here is, the, here is the essence of the gospel. A price of equal value has been paid for you in the body of Christ. The price of equal value. God sees you as valuable as he sees his son. That's a whole new wrinkle in your brain. It is in mine. You mean I'm that valuable? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, you're that valuable. Yeah, but I think this way. Yeah, 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 but change your thinking. It's stinking. Change it. But that's what repentance means, to change the way you think. A price of equal value has been paid for you. You are now valuable. You are now priceless. You are now 
precious. You are now chosen. You are now included. You are now highly valuable and highly favored. That's good news. And it's a lie to say, well, I had, do I have to change this to be accepted by God? No. Well, pastor, you're making light of sin. No, you're making light of the sacrifice of Christ. This is good news. This is really good news. Oh, man, I love this second service. His goodness draws us to him. God loves you. Um, it's really, it's really, really part. The gospel, that's what the gospel is. The gospel is the father has been separated from his kids. And any father here knows when you're separated from your kids and you can't get your kids, you'll pay any price to get to them. And that's what the father did for us. And he wants us back together as a family, getting along. That's what he wants. For God was in Christ reconciling or making friendly or paying a price equal to the value. Uh, He was in Christ, no longer counting people's sins against them. You gotta underline that in red and yellow and blue and get it tattooed on the inside of your thigh. I didn't mean that really. But I was just thinking that that God is no longer, this is, is, what what great news, he's no longer counting people's sins against them. Yeah, yeah, your neighbor may be, your spouse may be, the barista may be. God is no longer counting their sins against them. That almost sounds like heresy, isn't it? Because don't we have to be better and don't we be all cleaned up and don't we, no. He's no longer counting your relative goodness or ungoodness or no longer counting that against you. You may be counting it against yourself, but he's not counting it against you. This is incredibly good news. It's this that now, this goodness that now says, okay, I can come home, I'm accepted just the way I am. Yes, that's good news. That's wonderful news. And you can change at the speed of your decisions and your choices and your, your willingness to hear the voice of God. Let me wrap it up. The biggest deception, I hope you're open to this, one of the biggest deceptions in our relationship with Christ is this, is as you treat people, it's the same way you treat the Lord. That's a big deception. No, 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 pastor, I love people. Or sorry, I love Jesus, but I just don't like people. Yeah. I got a passage of scripture for you. If anybody says I love God but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. That hurt, I felt that, that hurt me. Yeah, it says the way you treat people is the way you treat God. That's what it says. I hope you're able to receive that. That No, 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 I, you know, there's people like this, but I really do love Jesus. No, no, that's, you're deceived. Our ability of self-deception is limitless. You don't even know when you're deceived. Did you know that? That's the nature of deception. You need someone else to point that out for you. I could, I could help you point that out for you. Your spouse probably could. If anybody says, I love God, but hates a brother or sister, that person is a liar. That's, those are sharp words. For if we don't love people, we can see, how can we love God whom we do not see? If, you're, if you meet someone who's angry, manipulative, and, and they say, I love Jesus, you say, no, no, you just manipulate him. That's what you do. We do that all the time. We try and do that. We go on hunger strikes. We call them fast, but we're really, we're really trying to manipulate the deity rather than surrender to him. Humility is just, it always precedes promotion. Scripture says it like this way. He says that, that um, he gives grace to the humble. So, and he says, so, so humble, uh, humbleness really means our ability to surrender our opinion or our point of view. Pride won't do that. Pride holds on to stuff like that. Are you, will, are you open? Are you teachable? Do you have ears to hear? 
If we are, here's what, we, here's what we'll find out, is that his body, his body, which is us, the body of Christ, this is our little lo- local expression of that. We're not the only rodeo in town, but we're one. And if he's called you to be part of this, I ask you to commit to it. I ask you to be loyal to it. I, I ask you this, just like I say to do with anybody. If some, you, when you, and don't criticize it and don't point out its faults. We know our faults. You know your faults. No one has to point out your faults. We're usually quite aware of them. But we need somebody to protect and encourage. We, the, the term loyalty, you know what? Loyalty only works in an environment of, uh, of disagreement. It's only when you disagree that you find out how loyal you really are. Well, pastor, I disagree with what you're doing. Yeah, you probably disagree with lots of stuff. But here's the desires that we keep submitting and laying down our opinion, listening for the Lord. What's he saying to do? And trying to obey that. That's what we're trying to do as a body. More loving, more loving, more loving. All right, safe to come home. I don't think it's possible to grow as a believer, not really, unless you're committed to a local body. That's what I personally believe. Um, This is the environment that we're meant to grow in. Um, I think I say that without any agenda. Um, I I think that we, we find that when we when we connect and we fight for that connection, we believe in that connection, we begin to serve and contribute. Um, someone, you know, said to me, I didn't get much out of worship this morning or something. I said, well, it wasn't that really for you. It's for, it's for him. That's why we come, to get our focus off ourselves. We gotta, we, gotta, we gotta fight for unity because it doesn't just happen, but it's worth fighting for. We're living stones. And so, we, and, and so my invitation to help you to grow is to be, is, is like the, that's, which was the difference between AI and Bethel. AI was a pile of stones, but Bethel was the house of God. It was different because those stones were shaped and they were willing to be adjusted and take some correction and direction and find their place and stick in that place so that the building could grow together. We need you to find your place in the body of Christ to contribute and to cheer the people who are under you, beside you and over you. And that's how we build the body of Christ, by building people and by building one another. I close with this. Um, um, Mark Twain said, the two greatest days of your life, the day you're born and the day you find out why. You are here to bear fruit, but you won't bear fruit if you're not planted and if you're not willing to be pruned. I'd like to talk about that, but I, I think I've said enough because because when the Lord prunes us, it's a, it's a beautiful grace because pruning is to allow us to become fruitful. And if we're just gonna go, oh, that hurt, probably not gonna be fruitful. Might have a little bit of fruit, but. And how, how does he do that? When God wants to bless you, he puts people in your life. When God wants to prune you, he puts people in your life. People. Jesus died for people. Funky people. Greater love is no man than this. He laid down his life for a friend. We're friends. Friends of God. Amen. The reason that people come to Christ largely, I think mostly, and specifically in my case, is for selfish reasons. We, don't, we come because we need something. We come because it's, you know, I came to Christ, uh, faith in Christ. I was tired of running. I was tired. I tried all this garbage, just so empty. Um, some, t- some people come to Christ because they're lonely and they just want to connect. Good. 
Oh, the, the reason the prodigal came to Christ is all selfishness, is all complete. He was just a snotty-nosed puke. He was just on it. He was just a, a you know, a, a wiener, whiner, uh, whatever you want to. He's just like, and he came home because he didn't like the food in the pig pen. He said, the dad's place is better food than this. He came home for complete. He, there was no repentance in his heart at all. He came home for food. And you know what? If that's the reason, that's just fine. That's just fine. If you just want to connect just for purely for selfish reasons, you're welcome. But the hope is you will get a little uncomfortable and will want to change the way you live, the way you think, the way you act, hopefully. But you'll, that'll be by, your, by invitation. You'll be able to do that as fast or as slow as you want. So I welcome you to become part of this beautiful bride of Christ. You belong, you're valued, you're needed, and you're welcome. It's safe to come home. Let's all stand. I want to, um, as, I've been, as I've been just preaching away, there's been this whole other little agenda that's playing in my mind here, and um, I sure might be wrong. The Bible says we prophesy in part, we see in part, we know in part. I sure might be wrong. But I think, I think what the Holy Spirit wants to do in these next few moments is break the spirit of religion. And if you've been measuring, you feel you're being measured, uh, you feeling you don't add up, you're feeling you have to change a whole bunch of things because uh, pressure, outside, uh, external pressure. Uh, if you feel, you know, you, you're guilted into doing stuff all the time and you just seem to attract it, uh, I, wanna, I wanna break that thing. I wanna, but you need, I need to know who you are. If you feel you've been under a yoke of bondage and performance and measuring up and that you never measure up, that, that, that is, really religion is a form of godliness with no power. It, religion is really, by definition, it's self-salvation. I have to do something to be saved. If you've been under a, that yoke, I'd like you to just slip your hand up very quickly because I want to pray for you specifically. Let me see your hands. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is that Jacqueline? Welcome home. Really welcome home. Anybody else? The spirit of, of uh, religion. Anybody else? Measuring up. Thank you. Great, I'm just gonna pray for you. And here's, here's what I see happening as I pray, I will see change breaking. It's up to you to maintain your freedom. Spirit of God, I welcome you here to break the change of performance and religion over these beautiful people that you've called into relationship. Lord, I thank you for the incredible price you paid for freedom, and it's for freedom that you came. It's freedom that you purchased. So today we break the chains of religion in Jesus' name. We break the whole, those bondages, those prison doors of performance and measuring up that I have to do something to be loved and accepted. I break that spirit over these people's minds and hearts, and I command them to come free now in Jesus' name. We resist you lying spirit of religion that says we have to do something to earn and to measure and to perform, and we command you to not come back. You are not welcome in these lives. You're not welcome in this property in the name and the authority of Jesus. Highest name there is on the planet. If you're here this morning and you have not accepted Christ or you want to come back to Christ or you feel disconnected from Christ, I want to welcome you to come up and we'll pray for you or I can pray for you right where you're standing. I'm going to pray for a blessing over us now. We've been here long enough. Father, I thank you that we get to gather as a body. I thank you, Lord, that people will have heard your word in spite of my vocabulary. They have heard your word. And I thank you that your words bring healing and hope to men and women's hearts and minds. And I thank you, Father, that the fruit of being connected will not be lost in these lives. 
but they'll have great fruit. I thank you for a fruitful vine. Lord, that C3 Calgary is a fruitful vine in this city and this nation. And I thank you for each one that's gathered here now and the freedom that you've granted us today. In the powerful name of Jesus, amen. If you'd like prayer, we got a prayer team. I'd like to pray for you, Jacqueline, personally. If there's anybody else would like prayer, we got a prayer team. That prayer team's making its way to the front right now. Through those doors walk people who are free, free from the bondage of religion and free to know him fully and completely. God bless you. You're released. Have an awesome week. Go and change your world. Amen. We hope this message has impacted you. For more information about what's going on, please check out our website at myc3church.ca. Now go change your world.